God still reigns. Amen? Doesn't matter what we're going through individually, corporately, as a nation, or even as the nations. The Lord still reigns, and the purposes of God still go forth in the earth. Nothing takes him by surprise. He didn't look and say, I didn't think that was going to happen. Let me, let me uh, readjust my notes here. He's, he's Lord and he's sovereign. And when he created the heavens and the earth, he created time and he created the times when people would, would be in, in the earth and he created the situations in which things would happen in the earth. So he's Lord over all these things. And there will come a day when the, when the skies will burst open and Christ will come back and he will set his feet in Jerusalem, and he will rule the nations, and all the nations will flock to him. It says it in here. It's all going according to his plan. Not my plan, not your plan. Nobody else's plans, but God's plans prevail. Amen? And we're part of it. If we're in God's plan, we're a part of his plan, so we shouldn't be shaken. But if we're out of the will of God, and things are happening, fear can Fear can overtake people because they don't know what's happening. They can be asking what's happening, and it's happening at such a fast pace that, pe that the fear and anxiety of people, because they don't understand that God is in control. They think man is in control, or governments are in control, or, or political parties are in control, or who knows who they think is in control. <laughs> Nobody's in control. We're all, we're all going to die. It's kind of... But God is in control, and, it's, and that, that should be a great comfort to us. And I love what we sung today. That really just allowed us to focus and, and understand. His grace is there. He reigns. His love is available. It's amazing uh, just to spend some time in worship this evening to let it settle our hearts. Well, let's gather around the word this evening, um, and let's, uh, let's find comfort in his word. Amen? Father, we do, we do come to you, and Lord, it is according to your word. And Lord, as we break bread around your word this evening, let it, let it uh, settle in on our hearts. Let it, bring, let it nourish our spirit. Uh, let it ignite our faith. And let it dispel darkness and the plans of the enemy in us corporately and in us personally, in our families and in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, uh, let's get started. Do you remember when they said that the, that the internet would put information at our fingertips and it would make our lives easier? Remember that? Oh, look, look, the internet, and, 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 and it's good. we're going to be uh, all uh, on the information highway, and it's going to make everything so easy. And it seems like the more information that we have now at our fingertips, the more confusion we have. It seems that the more information that uh, comes at us in so many different directions, the more confused we get, the more anxious we get, the more um, we even begin to distrust the information because it comes at so many different angles and then it comes with so many different opinions. And then if you don't believe the information because, the, because more people, uh, because one side believes the information and one side doesn't, then, then you're, left in, you're left to stand and you wonder, well, well what's, what do I pick up? What do I put down? What do I believe? What, I don't, what don't I believe? See, the person who controls the, whoever he who controls the information controls the masses. 
But information has always been manipulated, no matter whether there was an internet or whether there wasn't an internet. Matter of fact, to, to prove my point or, or to, to bring um, more strength to my point, do you remember Jesus said to his, to his disciples, who do men say that I am? He was asking them, what's the information that is being said about me? Now check it out, because there's disinformation about to come, and it didn't come through the internet. He said, who do men say that I am? And they said, well, some say that you're Elijah. And some say that you're John the Baptist. So there was already disinformation about Jesus during Jesus' time, and you didn't even need the internet. And then Jesus says, well, what about you? Who do you say that I am? See, because... What Jesus was saying is, okay, there's a lot of information out there, but you've been hanging out with me for these, for these three years. Who do you say that I am? And Peter said, well, you're the, you're the, you're the Christ, or you're the Messiah. You're the, son of, you're the Son of God. And then here's where the, where the important thing is. Here's where it all came down to. Jesus said to him, what you've, what you've just received and what you've just said did not come from you because it's not born of the flesh. That came from my Father in heaven. So what, what is really, what we need to understand is if we're plugged into the wrong source, of course we're going to get disinformation. We need more revelation than we need information. Amen? See, Peter got a revelation and he was able to speak the truth, but the revelation didn't come from him, it came from God. Revelation comes, revelation comes from, from above, not from, not, it, it becomes, what's this, what, what are we looking at this way? Vertical, not horizontal. So revelation comes vertically. And if we're not receiving revelation and all we're receiving is information, how much can we trust the information that we receive? See, I'm a mere man, and I don't have much when it comes to degrees or things like, or things like that. I've been in the Word for, wow, I, I don't have enough toes to count. I've been, but let's say since I'm 20 years old, so I'm... I'm 39 years in this word, and I don't know it all. I don't even have all the information. But it's great when, when we're reading it, and all of a sudden there's revelation. Oh, I've never seen it that way before. Rhema. And the beautiful thing is, is that what we need to see in our day and our time is this is what we need more. We need more rhema than we need the information that we're receiving uh, from different sources, whether it's social um, media, whether, whether it's corporate media, whether it's just the, the noise of our, of, our own, um, of our own head or, or our own friends or our own opinions. Sometimes we've just got to, we got to kind of put the emergency brake on and say, all right, Lord, slow down, stop. What's God saying? What's God saying in the midst of all that's going on in our lives? What's God saying in all that's going on in the midst of our nation? What's God saying? You know, we've come to a place where we can actually say we're actually at a place of information exhaustion. I mean, how much more information can I take in that I can really process or trust? And so I'm at a place of information exhaustion. I don't want no more. 
It's like I've been to the buffet and I stayed too long and, I, and I'm just trying to push away from the table. Enough for me. Thank you. Uh, I, I'm done. Too confusing. Uh, too, too much uh, t- totalitarianism in it. Too much, too much of man's opinion, not God's opinion. Too much. I'm done. I'm full. I've had it. Time out. Pull the emergency brake. I want to get off. And it's okay to feel like that now. It's okay to feel like, you know what, I'm a little overwhelmed. And uh, I want to stop. And I just want, I want to find stability. I want to find solid ground. I want to find my footing. I want to find the path that, that if I'm on the path that God has called me on, that I'm still on that path. And that the voice that I'm hearing is not the voice of the enemy or the voice of the mob, but it's the voice of the Lord. And so we're at a place where information exhaustion. And I believe it's times for us to take a step back and refocus our attention on God and the truth of his word and the comfort of his presence. You know, we all at times, I don't care who you are and how long you've walked with the Lord, uh, we all lose our focus. We all lose our focus on what's valuable, what's important. Um, we all do. Matter of fact, uh, in, in the first chapter of Acts, the disciples who had been with Jesus for three years, then um, they scattered when Jesus was, uh, was in the garden, uh, and two, two of his disciples followed him. Peter uh, denied him three times, and he went his way. John basically was the only one to follow him to the cross. Jesus is put into a tomb. Three days later, he rises from the dead. Forty days, he's with, he's with the disciples. Um, he's basically showing up unexpected, walking through walls, uh, showing up at a beach with a breakfast for these guys. I mean, he's just, he's doing, uh, he's being Jesus. And, um, and now uh, they, take a, they take a walk to the Mount of Olives where, where um, the, it had ended and it's about to begin again. And um, now, now ch- check it out. Imagine, I mean, because this doesn't happen to any of us anytime, anytime. But Jesus is sitting there talking with them, standing there talking with them, and then all of a sudden he begins to ascend. Can you imagine you talk with somebody and all of a sudden they just lift up off, off their feet and they begin to, uh, yeah, really. <laughs> Get a good, but it's what happened. He ascended. He's like, okay, guys, it's all over now. It's all on you. And he basically ascends. And they're watching. I mean, it is a spectacle, but they're watching. And they're watching. And they're watching. And then it says that, a, that he basically, uh, a cloud came and just basically took, took, uh, took away their sight of him. I'm paraphrasing. And they're still watching. Because they lost focus of him. And they're watching and they're looking for him. It's like, is that him? Well, where, where is he? And that angels came and basically tapped him on the shoulder and said, men of Galilee, the same Jesus that you've now seen go up is going to be the same Jesus that's going to come down. You got work to do. Refocus. Stop looking up. Stop trying to, start trying to resettle your focus. It's not up there. It's, it's what you got to do down here that matters. And so, um, like, I, like I'm saying, in, the times of the, in times of everyone's life, we all lose focus of the Lord, and it's time to refocus. And what a better time than we, than we have right now, the Christmas season, to begin to refocus the, our attention back on the Lord, back on his word, back on his promises. 
when we begin to focus our intention, it's always good to go back to the beginning. It's a good starting point. You know, when you say, well, i got to focus again on the Lord, but um, I've lost my focus and I don't know where to start. Well, go back to the beginning. Anyone that loses any professional, anyone that, is, that is, has a, a profession and, they, and something is off in their, in their, in their life, whether, whether it's uh, music or whether it's sports or whether it's the financial business, anyone that has a profession that is good at what they do, and if something is off in their life, the best thing they do is they go back to the beginning. They go back to the basics. And they start from the beginning. See, if you've lost focus, if you've lost your way, you can't say, well, I need to pick off where I last left off. Well, where did you last leave off? I don't know. It's kind of like when you lose your keys and somebody says to them, well, where did you last leave them? I hate that question. Well, if I had that answer, I wouldn't be looking for them. But that's the it's like, you know, and we bat, what do we do? We trace our steps. We go back. Then we find our keys. And what I like to do is keep looking for them to annoy the person that's at that asked me where, was, where they were the last time I was looking for them. But um, so we have to understand, we always, it's always good to start at the beginning. And I think it's good for us this evening to start at the beginning. And so um, when you get the opportunity, if you'll turn in your Bibles to Luke chapter 2, we're going to look at the birth of Christ. And as we look at the birth of Christ... We're going, to refo- we're going to refocus on the message that God gave us at that, at that time. Because here's the thing with the, with the message that God give, gave. If the, if the word of God is alive, which it is, it doesn't matter the time that it was spoken. It's still relevant to our time today. And it doesn't matter who he was speaking it to. He was speaking it through man. He was speaking it through time. He was speaking it through centuries and through situations because we all, because he knew man would always need to go back to the beginning to refocus his steps and to rebalance and recalibrate and get re-energized. And so the word of God still stands true and still has value and relevance today. So Luke chapter 2, I'm going to start in verse 8. And we'll go from 8 to chapter, uh, 8. Verse 8 to 20, it says, In the same region, there was some shepherds staying out in the fields and keeping watch over their flocks at night. And an angel of the Lord suddenly stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terribly frightened. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid, for behold, I bring you good news, of great joy that will be for all people. For today in the city of David, there has been born for you a Savior who is Christ the Lord. This will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths lying in a manger. And suddenly there appeared with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among men with whom he is pleased. When the angels had gone away from, heaven, uh, from them into heaven, the shepherds began to say to one another, let's go straight to Bethlehem then and see this thing that the Lord, that, that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. So they came in a hurry and they found their way to Mary and Joseph and the baby as he lay in the manger. When they had seen this, they made known to the, 
to the statement which had been told to them about this child. And all who heard it wondered at all the things which were told them by the shepherds. But Mary treasured all these things, pondering them in her heart. The shepherds went back, glorifying and praising God for all that they had heard and seen, just as it had been told to them. So we have here, uh, first of all, we have this amazing story. And now, um, I love this story because it, does, it, it, it takes me back to my childhood. It takes me back to uh, uh, a Charlie Brown Christmas, when, when really the only gospel I had at that time was once a year, Linus would get up and say, lights, please, and he would share this story. And I was, still, I was enthralled with it as a young child, and I am still enthralled with it even now. It's an important message. And it's a vital message for today because it brings us back to, it begins to refocus our attention on what's important and what's valuable and what is God saying. But here's an amazing cast of characters in this story. You have Joseph and you have Mary. And you have them coming from great distances because God had moved on the heart of, a, of, Caesar, of Caesar Augustus to do what? Charge a tax. Anything will move you, it'll be taxes. And so there we find out that Mary, nine months pregnant, has to get on a donkey and, and, make, and, make, uh, and travel. So this must have been incredibly uncomfortable for her. And here it is. So we have, the cast, we have the cast of character. We have Mary and we have Joseph. Then we have the Christ child. Then we have the angel of the Lord and the announcement that he makes. And it's, it seems... Uh, you know, it's, it's the angel of the Lord all of a sudden just, the, the sky splits open and, and there it is, the angel of the Lord, and he has this great message and he, and he tells his message. Then you have the heavenly host and they begin to sing the praises of God. And then you have the shepherds who, who are just sitting out in the fields minding their business and basically got the first drive-in movie. There it is, right before them. The glory of the Lord shines around them. They're afraid. The angel tells them, don't be afraid. I have great news for you that is of great joy. It's good news. It's of great joy, and it's for all people. Now, I want to let you know something. Just right then and there, that'll preach. Good news? How many people that you know need some good news? How many people do you know that need not only joy, but great joy? So he's, he's, he's saying to the shepherds, listen, I have some good news. And I have some great joy. We have people that are hurting, especially during this time of year. We have people that are, that are discouraged, depressed, people that are losing their very livelihood. And all they hear is bad news. You can't open your business. You can only operate. And if we do allow you to open your business, it's at this percentage of a capacity. So we, and we, people are hurting. People are angry. There's so many emotions going on in our, in our society today. And, and basically, we have the good news. And not only is it good news, but it's of great joy. But, it, and so, here it is, the angels are pronouncing that there's great news, there's good, there's Good news of great joy, for unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, and he's Christ the Lord. Now imagine this. The message came to shepherds, and he gave them the message. And, he, and Now, 
Can you imagine if, they if the angel would have gotten the message wrong? Follow me for a second, because I'm going to take you somewhere. Can you imagine if the angel, because you have a secondhand information. I'm bad at secondhand information. I really am. If you tell me something and then tell me to go tell somebody else, my mind spins at 1,000 miles an hour. By the time I get to what you ask me to tell somebody else, that message is gone. I might have some of it, but not all of it. And then the pieces that I have don't always fit together. So I always say something, don't, no. Write it down, text it, send it. And I, you know, I remember as a kid too, my mom would send me to the store. She would tell me what to, what to get. And now think as a young boy, all I had to do was walk to the corner. By the time I got to the corner, I already forgot what I was supposed to get. Good thing that phone calls was only a dime. And I said, what is it that you want? What was I supposed to get? And I used to have to ask the counter guy for, for a piece of paper and a, and a pencil to write it down because I'd forget. I'm still the same way. And maybe some of you are, especially the older we get. Imagine, remember going into a room and forgetting why you're there? That's why I, put, why I wear shoes with memory foam now. But anyway, think of the message was good news of great joy that will be for all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior. And this will be the sign for you. You'll find the baby wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. Can you imagine if the angel would have just said, you'll find the babe wrapped in swaddling clothes and left out the manger? It would have been a hard time for the, for the shepherds to find the baby because all babies are wrapped in swaddling cloths. And so the message was clear and the message had to be concise because there was an important element to the story, and the element was the manger. Now imagine who the message is going to. It's going to shepherds. And when they're told that, that the, the Messiah has been born, because that's what they're saying, Christ the Lord, the Messiah has been born to you. And you're going to find him, and he's wrapped in swaddling clothes, and he's lying in a manger. What? The, the message was shocking. Wait a minute. God's son is... Wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a feeding trough. See, we gloss over the, the, the important, one of the, the co-star of the, of the story, the manger. Why would God, first of all, why would God set in motion everything he set in, then make it so that when Joseph and Mary and, and the Christ child who was yet to be born would enter into a town where there's no room, no comfort for them whatsoever. No earthly comforts. None. Remember, he's sovereign. He's over the nations. He's in control of everything. He couldn't leave one room open? No, he couldn't. Because it's his story. And he wrote it. And he set in motion the way it was, it was supposed to be. And he set in motion even that which the Christ child, his son, was to be laying in the moment of his birth. Each and every one of us have been born to greater comforts than, than the Lord of, the whole, of heaven and earth. And so here we have the cast of character. And this one character in the cast that we seem to gloss over and whose message we need to help us refocus our intention and what's of value. It's 
the main instruction given to the shepherds. Remember, he says, it's the manger. We left out the manger. And it's so important because if the angel would have left out the manger, the Christ child would have been a lot harder to find. But once they heard it was a manger, well, we just got to go look for a barn. And so the manger becomes an important focus of the story. And I want to share with you three messages of the manger. And message number one is that it was a source of revelation of where Jesus was. Remember, if there's one thing that's going to bring us comfort is knowing that we're in the will of God. It's in the revelation of knowing where Jesus is and who Jesus is in our lives. And so if we're going to go back to a starting point and refocus, we have to refocus on the manger. Why? Because that's where the Christ child was. That's where Jesus was. That's where the revelation from, from the shepherds came, to where Jesus was. He's in the manger. So the manger plays an important part. Why? Because it's the revelation that God gave to man. Told me you'll find the babe wrapped in swaddling clothes, but that's not the important part. The part is where he's laying. He's laying in a manger. And so it's the revelation it's given to simple shepherds of where to find the Christ. Can you imagine now, why did he pick such lowly people and not people of particular influence, people of standing, people of clout, people that had authority? He went to simple shepherds because anyone else probably would not have believed the message that the Lord, the Messiah, was born in a barn and sleeping in a feeding trough. But to the shepherds, it so stunned them. To the shepherds, the revelation was so amazing that when the, when the party was over, the announcement of the Christ child, they turned around to each other and said, let's go check this thing out that was just been told to us. Let's go find him. He's in a manger. The Messiah is in a manger. Let's go find him. We've got direction. We, we know the Messiah's been born. We've just, seen the, we've just seen the great announcement, and now we know where to look for him. He's lying in a manger. So the manger had value because the manger was the revelation that God gave to simple people of where the Christ child was. And if there's something that we need in our lives, it's revelation of where we are in Christ and where Christ is with us. Where are you laying, Jesus? Where are you making your home? You know, we've all had a starting point in Christ. I, I, you know, I, I always love it when pastor's preaching and he says, I've been, I, I got saved right here when I was 14 years old. Oh, it's over there. That going to show you how much. See, again, you can't give me the message. I'm always going to get it wrong. But it's right around here. This is where he received Christ. This is where, this was his manger. Where was your manger? Mine was on a street corner in Brooklyn. But we've all had that revelation where God interrupted us and revealed, the, revealed Christ. We've all had a manger revelation, and it, and it changed us. It began to get, make us move in the same spirit as the shepherds. We got to go find this. We got to find out more about. We got to find out more about Christ. We got to find. God just gave us a revelation, and now we got to go further in and find Christ. We've all had this experience. But we need something, a fresh 
rhema from the Lord now uh, to, to center us, to give us something to be excited about, to keep us moving forward. And so it's a source of revelation of where Jesus was and who Jesus is. And so the manger played a part in revealing Christ to the world. It was the manger. Children love the story of Christmas. Why? Because it's so astounding that Jesus was born and he was lying in a manger. Matter of fact, there's a song about the manger. Away in a manger, no crib for a bed. It had value. Why did it have value? Because God placed value in the manger so much so that he laid his son there that it was the, it was the focal point of where to find the Christ child. And so the, the, the manger is the source of revelation. Message number two, it's the humble beginning of Christ's plan for redemption. See, it said, for unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior. They told us who he was before they told us about his lordship. God said the Savior was born. Then he told us he was Christ the Lord. But in this revelation, in this message about the manger, it's the humble beginning of the plan of redemption. This was no ordinary child born... This was an order, and let me try this again, I'm sorry. This was an extraordinary child born in an extraordinary place for an extraordinary purpose, to save each and every one of us. Without the manger, there's no revelation of Jesus. Without the manger, without the message of the manger, there's, there's no means of salvation. It's the starting point of salvation. And so it's a humble beginning for God's plan of redemption. Because if God could make Jesus be born in such humble circumstances, then the requirement on us to humble ourselves to receive him is required. I cannot receive Jesus Christ in arrogance. I reject him that way. I don't receive him that way. I cannot receive Christ in anger. Yeah, I'll accept Jesus. It doesn't go that way. It's more, how many times have you, have you spoken to somebody about Christ and in anger they tell you, I don't want to hear it. Get away with that stuff. And they, or they begin to, um, I know that I, there's this uh, particular person at work I, and I tell him about, you know, God loves you and this and that. Ah, blah, blah. You know, he's always angry about it. And I tell him, you know, um, and I said, look, I'm not going to stop telling you about it. There's, you know, so if you're going to get angry, just, you know, get angry and be okay, but that's not going to deter me your, your emotions don't deter me from the truth of who God is to you. And so you can't receive, so I'm praying against this anger that his heart would soften because he can't receive it in the state that he's in now. So you can't receive Christ in a, in a proud place. You can't receive him in a place of anger or you can't even receive him in a place of unforgiveness. Well, I'll, I'll accept Jesus, but I'm not going to forgive all those people that did all those wrongs to me. Then you haven't accepted Christ. And so it's a humble beginning. Sometimes it's with tears. When we get to that place, when we surrender, and, we real, and, and the revelation of who Jesus is, and I'm broken before him, and I'm asking him to forgive me for what? For my sins. 
So we, so the place of beginning, the manger is a humble place of beginning. And in our own lives, it's the same thing. It's a humble beginning. Uh, it's a place where we begin, Father, forgive me for all the sins that I've committed. Father, I, you know, we begin to say this in his prayer, that Jesus Christ died for me, and, all of it, and, and we confess our sins, and we receive the Christ child, but we receive him in humility. And so the starting point that God had to do it had to be a place of humility. It had to be a humbling place, because if, if that's the place where God revealed revealed Jesus, and if that's the place that the shepherds received the information and went and found it out, then the place of, it's the same place for us on our starting point is a place of humility. And sometimes to get back to that place, we've got to humble ourselves. It's a walk of humility. It needed an extraordinary statement. All the more so the, man, the manger being the place of a humble beginning. It's the same place for us when we approach Christ. We have to approach him in the same way that, that God revealed his son in a humble place. We need to be able to, when we, when we ask God to reveal his son, we need to be in a place of humility and humbled before God. The manger teaches us not to lose focus on the things that, that people deem insignificant. See, the world looks at Christmas sometimes and they, they don't look at it in the same way that God revealed it. I mean, if we celebrate Christmas, we celebrate the Christ child. Sure, there's so much more there, but the main focus is Christ and the main focus is the manger. The main focus is the, and, and here it is, people bypass that. Oh, you know, they, it's, ah, that's just, you know, that's religion. Ah, that's, you know, all right, it's, it's a nice story. But it's not real. Has no significance. Ah. The manger teaches us not to lose focus on the things that we deem insignificant. The, the manger is not insignificant. It's very significant. If it was insignificant, the angel would have left it out of the message. But it was significant enough that it had to be said of where the, where the Christ child lay in a place of humility. Message number three from the manger is that the manger is the first step on the road to Calvary. All great journeys seem to have their beginnings in obscurity. Remember, it was only told to them, it was this message only came to the shepherds. And it was in a place of obscurity. It was in a barn. It was in, it was, it was in a it was in a, you know a, the manger. It was a place of obscurity. It wasn't like he was born in a palace. And it wasn't like the, the, the fanfare that God, you know, any, any father, when the, when the child is born, there's a, there's, a lot of, there's a lot of celebrating. I remember when Riley was born, Pastor Rick called me. Hey, where, and he asked me, where are you? I'm at work. Why are you still at work? Riley's been born. I, you know, I hung up the phone and I, and I went to the hospital to celebrate with my friend. And it's amazing, you know, it's amazing how we announce, uh, you know, hey, my daughter was born. You know, hey, Pastor Rick, my daughter's born. Come on over. You know, and people began to come, to come in. And um, we, we're excited about it. So why should not God have been just as excited about the birth of his son? He was. And he shared it with simple people. He didn't share it with people of great influence. He didn't share it with Caesar. He didn't share it with Herod. 
He didn't share it with, with the, the, the high priest. Why not? That was, the, that was the influential person in Israel. Why didn't he share it with the high priest? Why not the Pharisees? Why not the Sadducees? Why the shepherds? Because any great message and any great beginning always takes its place in obscurity. People look at people that have been that are all of a sudden pop up on the scene and they're famous and they're like, well, where'd this guy come from? Well, they have no idea the price that this person paid and how many years they paid the price to get to a place of where they're out of obscurity and they're open to the public and they have something of value. Obscurity is a good place, especially if it's God keeping you in place and hiding you for a season. So that he can work on you, humble you, get you to submit to him, hear his voice, and be, and be the instrument of his righteousness. So it's born in a place of obscurity. Pastor Rick didn't go from here to here in a moment. It was a place of obscurity. It was a place of refining and of brokenness and even a place of, of learning and teaching. And then still coming to a place of servanthood and, and, being, and having to take on uh, things that would rub him raw. Things that would make him like, that's not right. But still having to submit to what wasn't right and still doing it. To a place of a, and, a, and, and that was all done in obscurity. Same thing in my life. You know, it was uh, from a street corner to a, to a drug program, to a Bible school, to a place called Moody's, Connecticut. Obscurity. I, I had no family there. No one. I didn't know anyone except the pastor and his wife. And God called me to a small church that this, was, this would be considered wow. I mean, it was small. My Sunday school class was one kid. I was a Sunday school teacher for one kid. And I still would prepare a message to teach every Sunday to one kid. If you don't learn faithfulness to serve the one, how can you stand behind a pulpit and minister to more than one? If you're not willing to serve, do you understand what I'm saying? So there's value in obscurity. And you may say, well, God, I've got gifts. Yes, but if your gifts don't match your character, there's no sense for you being taken out of obscurity premature. You ruin the message and the gifts. You'll shipwreck it. God knows that. Obscurity is a great place for God. Look at Moses. Moses went from being a priest to being a shepherd for 40 years in obscurity. David was a shepherd. Then he became a slayer. Then he became a servant. And then he became an outcast and a rebel, if you could say that, for 13 years running. Joseph went from having dreams to being accused of rape to being placed in prison for 13 years in a place of obscurity so that when the day came, he can be raised up and save a nation. Obscurity is a powerful tool. And it's the first step on something great. So don't look and say, think that, you know, uh, or want to hurry God's plan for your life. Worship him in the place of obscurity. 
Be trained to hear his voice in that place of obscurity. And understand that all great journeys have their beginnings in obscurity. Men of renown would not have been able to receive this message. What am I saying to that? What I mean is, is that the value of the manger, okay, was given to people in obscurity. Why? Because they were able, they were simple, and they heard a simple message, and they were able to receive it and not try to figure it out and wonder if this is, what's all this all about, and try to call in wise men to figure out the message, and then the message would have gotten lost. No, it was given to people in obscurity. They were humble. They received it, and they acted upon it. And so we have to understand that when God does things in obscurity, it has, it has great value and it has great power. And it's the same thing when it came to Jesus. The manger was a place of obscurity, but the cross was a public display of the love of God and the, and the judgment of sin. And remember, Jesus, even from, from the place of the manger, Jesus still lived in obscurity for 30 years. It was in the last three when he was able to be shown to the world and he ministered in that power that he had um, and the authority that he had because he understood the value of the obscurity and the plan and purposes of God. So you have to understand the manger is the road to Calvary. While the manger didn't purchase our salvation, it sure did introduce it. And so the manger is the first step, the road to Calvary. I want to close with this. Hebrews chapter 12, verses 1 through 3. It says, Therefore, since we have so great a cloud of witnesses surrounding us, let us lay aside every encum encumbrance and the sin which so easily entangles us, and let us run with endurance the race that is, that is set before us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. For consider him who has endured such hostility by sinners against himself, so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. The manger is the value that allows us to refocus our lives and shut off the information. And why, why do I bring over um, Hebrews chapter 12? Because when we receive a message such as what we see about the, the, um, the manger, what we have to understand is, is this, that we have to focus our attention on, on the Lord and not, not, and not become, uh, how would you say, throw aside the things that, that hold us down or weigh us down and the sin that so easily besets us. And focus our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who started in the, in the manger and the message that we get from the manger. If the message is valuable today to you, let it do something so that it settles your heart, I ask in Jesus' name. God bless you.